All right, let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. We left Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they were being thrown into the fiery furnace. We're going to read beginning in verse 23. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, and I can picture him in a rather feeble voice, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Abednego, <laughs> servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father, this is one of our most famous and exciting Bible stories that so many people are aware of and familiar with. We ask this morning that you'd give us fresh insight and understanding and revelation as we study this passage from the book of Daniel. Father, bless this time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys that Nebuchadnezzar's men of valor, remember he got his men of valor, his personal bodyguards, if you will, to throw them in. They fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. We saw back in verse 22 last week, therefore because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as the soldiers who were pushing them into the furnace, they were consumed by the flames I'm sure we've all experienced that at one time or another where you get too close to a hot fire and even though you're, you're not literally touching the flames, the heat coming off of it, even like my barbecue grill. Recently I was uh, barbecuing something, I forget what, I, I'm assuming it was something edible, but um, I couldn't hardly turn the meat because there was so, so much heat coming off of there and you can imagine the intensity here and yet, so our three heroes are falling helplessly into the fire. Obvious question, why were they not consumed like the soldiers? The soldiers never actually touched the fire. 
but the heat was so intense they were consumed by the heat. But then something happens, right? Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they answered, true, O king. Yeah, you're not going to contradict the king, right? But then he, look, he says in verse 25, I see four men loose. So what does this tell us? One, there's an extra guy in there. We're going to talk about him in a minute. But they were loose. So the fire had burned off the ropes binding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they were unharmed. Adding to the incredibly miraculous situation that we are now able to have witness to. That, of course, would be absolutely impossible. Their clothing didn't burn, their hair didn't burn, their skin didn't burn, but the ropes, now either God made the ropes fall off or they burned off. Regardless, they were loose. This is absolutely impossible, except as they had told Nebuchadnezzar before he threw them into the fire, our God is able to save us. But wait, wait a minute. There's a fourth man in there. And they're all walking in the midst of the fire. So it was obviously a very large furnace. I thought maybe they were walking around in order to burn off carbs. Some of the ovens, we all know about the crematoriums in the German concentration camps of World War II, right? Some of the ovens of Auschwitz and Birkenwald, Birkenwald, were as large as a thousand square feet. And they were heated, these ovens at Auschwitz and Birkenwald, were heated to between 1800 and 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. They could cremate up to 26 bodies in a 24-hour period. And so yet we find now the Nazis weren't the first ones to come up with this. Nebuchadnezzar had one thousands of years beforehand. So picture that. You know, years and years ago, as a young believer, I don't know why, but I just always pictured them as being thrown into some kind of a hole that was a furnace but actually it would have been just they would have just shoved them straight in it would have been parallel with uh, the ground there just a big huge furnace hot enough to consume the soldiers obviously hot enough to burn off the ropes and yet they're unscathed they are not hurt Nebuchadnezzar says Again, the king's men were consumed by the intense heat, but the Babylon 3 are in there having a tropical vacation. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, how would Nebuchadnezzar know what the Son of God looks like? But remember, there was something about Nebuchadnezzar. He did have supernatural dreams, which Daniel then interpreted for him. And he possessed a certain spiritual sensitivity. But besides that, who was this person in there and where did he come from? Nebuchadnezzar realized that this was this being who looks like the Son of God was mightier than his gods and who could never have delivered these men. 
We have a description of the glorified Christ in the first chapter of Revelation. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, says John the Apostle. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that's another title given to Jesus, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, speaking of the power of his spoken word, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now perhaps this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. We don't know for sure. There was something about the countenance of Jesus who we believe that was, he was there in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Something made him stand out to the point that Nebuchadnezzar says the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And obviously, the Holy Spirit was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. The Holy Spirit does speak to non-believers. Do we all know that? That's how we became believers. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to you and told you the truth about Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of the living God. There's another point to be made here, I think, maybe the most important one of all. Jesus may and sometimes will allow us to be, quote, thrown into the fiery furnace. Have you ever felt like you were in the fiery furnace? Some difficulty, some trial, some tribulation of life. Well, God will allow those things to happen in our lives, but the good news is he will always be right there with us. You hear people say, well, Lord, where were you when I really needed you? He's right there with you just like he was with them in the fiery furnace. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, boy, this is an important passage to take to heart. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, test you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was tested, wasn't it? They told Nebuchadnezzar, our God will save us, protect us, but even if he doesn't, remember last week? We still won't bow down. That tested their faith, and their faith passed the test. The fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That's what, you know, you guys hear me say this all the time, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. It's always a painful thing when we lose a friend, a family member, a loved one to physical death, but why are we surprised? Why are we shocked? The Bible says it's appointed for man once to what? Die. Where's the surprise? It's not a surprise. It's a natural part of this world that we live in, this current order. We're born in mortal bodies that break down, decay, get sicknesses, get diseases, get into accidents. And so un unless we are alive for the rapture of the church, and that's all of our hopes and prayers, right? We will all die at some point. And unless you don't have an extremely good relationship with that person, 
I can't imagine anyone ever saying, well, yeah, I'm glad he died. You know, I was kind of waiting around for that to happen. No, we're, we're all hurt, grieving, disappointed, but we shouldn't be shocked. Peter says, hey, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. See, unfortunately, I think most believers and even a lot of preachers and teachers promote this idea that if you really are a good Christian, if you really have strong faith, if you're living the way you should be, then bad things will never happen to you. They call that the uh, health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it gospel. Well, if you'd have had more faith, your husband wouldn't have died. Not true. You could have all the faith in the world, but at some point, he or she is still going to die. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That is the pathway of a faithful follower of Christ. Jesus said, again, we can't ever claim, God didn't tell me about this. I didn't know this was going to happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. This is our training ground, our boot camp for eternity. Once we pass from this life to the next, those things will no longer be an issue. The trying of your faith, James writes in chapter 1, worketh patience. The testing or trying of your faith, God is working in us in this life to produce patience, endurance, perseverance. And we all know this. We may not personally practice it, but we all know no pain, no gain, right? <laughs> Anything that's actually going to produce, even like with guitar playing, Brian was just telling me we were practicing a little bit for this weekend, and he says, I, I don't want to go home and practice too much because my fingers start hurting. What happens when you play guitar? You build up calluses on the end of your fingers. But until you get adequate amount of callus, your fingers can get real sore. No pain, no gain. If you want to become a, a decent or better guitar player, you've got to go through some discomfort to get there. And that can be applied to any area of our lives. If we want to be strong, mature, faithful followers of Christ, it's going to involve some pain, some struggle, some trials, some tribulations. And see, that's the devil's strategy with us. He may not come right out and say it to you literally, verbally, auditorily, but the message that Satan will send out, hey, you know what? If, I, if you just back down a little bit, I'll leave you alone. It's kind of like what Dave was talking about here. Just coasting. The enemy was not able to stop you from being born again. The Holy Spirit spoke to your heart. You responded. You received Christ. You're a child of God. The devil lost that round. He's never going to be able to drag your soul to hell now. So what's his plan B? Make your life in Christ as miserable, painful, and ineffective as possible. But, wow, if you'll just back down, if you won't be so vocal and verbal about your faith. After all, religion is a very private thing, you know. We don't talk about that in this house. You ever heard that one? 
We don't talk about religion and politics. In other words, we're just a bunch of vegetables here. Oh, you don't really, you don't want to go on the mission field. It's horrible out there. Everybody at home will forget about you. They won't send you any support. You'll starve to death. You'll get all kinds of diseases. And there's a lot of crazy demonic people running around out there in those third world countries. Last time I checked, there's a bunch of those right here. But that's the enemy's strategy. I've seen it time and time again, and I've seen people forfeit their calling in Christ, the plan that God had for them, and they go on to live a very mediocre life. Not that they've lost their salvation, but they never become the man or woman of God that he created them and called them to be. And that's the devil's goal. Render you, neutralize you, make you ineffective for Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were powerfully effective, as we will see here as we go on through this. Let me read the rest of uh, 1 Peter 4 here. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you see, you and I have gotten a glimpse of his glory because his Holy Spirit has revealed it to us. He lives in our hearts and minds we, we get glimpses of his glory as we feed upon the scriptures together. But his glory hasn't been fully revealed yet. And when it does, just like we read here in Revelation 1, it's going to strike terror and fear into the hearts of those who don't know him. And it's going to fill those who do know him with inexpressible joy. When his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, and even though Christ had not been fully manifest or revealed at the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Spirit of Christ was with them, in them, and upon them. And they were being reproached for the name of Christ, for the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah God. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Now, there's something interesting. Peter, right alongside the murderers, the thieves, the evildoers, puts busybodies. And how many churches have been destroyed by busybodies, by gossip, by backbiting, by slander. How many marriages, how many relationships, friendships? To God, being a busybody is just as bad as being a murderer. Interesting, isn't it? Peter says, don't suffer for those things. We will suffer in Christ for righteous things. Don't suffer for being a sinner. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And that's exactly what we see happening here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke. And like I said, I'm sure with great care and caution, he didn't want to get as close as those soldiers got, right? Calling out from a distance. Hello, guys. What's going on in there? 
Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Notice the phraseology here from Nebuchadnezzar. He's now acknowledging their God as the Most High God. Throwing three men into the furnace that don't get consumed and adding a fourth that looks like the Son of God, that'll really get your attention, won't it? Nebuchadnezzar was prideful and arrogant, but he was no dummy. And he appeared to be, at least to a certain degree, teachable. Now, we know he's going to spend some time out in the pasture later on. But right now, God's really getting his attention. He was teachable. Okay, I get it. I'm not the most powerful force in the universe after all. Come out and come here. They're in there hanging with Jesus. They're probably in no hurry. Besides, they've just become the first people in history to use a tanning booth. So, I don't know, guys. They're just not landing the way they used to. I'm not the... Is it me? Is it you? I don't know. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. Reluctantly, you might think, again, because they were having a good time in there with the Lord. But this is one command from the king that they could gladly obey. They could not, would not obey his command to bow before the image. But they could obey this one. And so the satraps, administrators, governors, kings, counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were carefully inspected by all of these government officials, all the ones present, only to discover that they, they showed absolutely no sign whatsoever of having been anywhere near a fire, let alone a 2,000-degree furnace. They didn't even smell like fire. I'm sure you've experienced this. Anytime you, you know, if you're out in the woods or your backyard or wherever, you have a campfire, you go away smelling like smoke, right? They didn't even smell like smoke. God had totally enveloped them in a supernatural protective bubble, if you will. And this fact, the fact that the fire of the furnace did not touch these three friends would have been especially significant to Nebuchadnezzar. Why? His patron God, his favorite God, was Nabu, the God of fire. And in this incident, his God, Nabu, was shown to be inferior to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he, in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So even the mighty, haughty, arrogant, prideful King Nebuchadnezzar can't help but praise the God who could execute such a mighty deliverance on behalf of his people. The very act that was to result in their death, defying the king's command, now becomes the very act for which they are praised by the king. Not only is Nebuchadnezzar praising their God, he's praising them as well. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel. And even this has some special significance. He refers to the one whom he saw in the fiery furnace who looks like the Son of God as his, Yahweh, Jehovah, God Almighty, his angel. And if you notice, I don't know about in your Bible, most Bibles that I've seen, 
The word angel is capitalized. The reason in the Old Testament, because Jesus is eternal. He has existed, coexisted with God the Father and the Holy Spirit throughout eternity. In the Old Testament, Jesus appears numerous times as the angel of the Lord. Now, it'll speak in the Old Testament about an angel of the Lord or from the Lord. But whenever it says the angel of the Lord with a big A, that's Jesus in what we call a pre-incarnate appearance prior to his physical birth here on the earth. It's also the theological term is Christophany. Christophany. And again, this does confirm his eternal coexistence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel. Jesus Christ. And not only is it a capital A, like I said, it's always preceded by the word the or the, the angel of the Lord, and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And so we see here that their willingness to die if necessary, rather than dishonor their God, presents an irresistible testimony to Nebuchadnezzar. He can't back away from it. He can't deny it. It's too powerful, too dynamic. And this same stand for Christ by the New Testament apostles and disciples has resulted in literally millions and millions of converts to Christianity over the last 2,000 years. We know that all the apostles except for John died a martyr's death. And rather than eradicating Christianity, all it did was propel it forward. Because for all those people down through the centuries have witnessed believers sacrificing their lives, laying down their lives rather than deny Christ. See, if Christianity were fake, if it was phony, if it was a false belief system, if it was a cult or whatever, the death of the apostles, the martyrdom of other believers would have eventually eradicated Christianity. Who would want to be part of a group that always gets killed. But instead, all it's done is cause Christianity to, to multiply. Jesus said it's going to multiply and cover the earth. And it has. Although we could easily argue that it appears to be in decline, especially when we want to evaluate true Christianity against the many fake, false, pseudo-Christian groups out there today. Therefore, verse 29, I make a decree. Remember, what are two significant things about a, a decree from the king? One, it's irrevocable. That's what put him in hot water, so to speak, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He really liked these guys. They were Daniel's associates. Nebuchadnezzar held Daniel in the highest esteem. He didn't want to throw him in the furnace, but he had... He backed himself into a corner because when you give a decree, the king, it's irrevocable. That's the first thing. However, God can override that, can't he? And he did. He did. It's irrevocable. And two, to violate the decree of the king results in the penalty of death, which is what they were under before God delivered them. But now he's got a new decree. Here it is. Any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss 
against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so this decree affected all of Nebuchadnezzar's empire, every ethnic group, every people group, and it helped keep the Jews from idolatry because they were, they would, not everybody would have been as strong as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Surely, many of the Jewish people, if they'd been forced to bow down to an idol, probably would have capitulated. But not these three. But now this new edict will take that pressure off of them and protect them while they're there in the land of Babylon. Listen, this is coming from Nebuchadnezzar. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. That's a far cry from what people say about God today, isn't it? And Jesus Christ. Can you imagine our current administration, our current commando-in-chief, getting up and telling the nation, if anybody says anything about God and his son Jesus Christ, we're going to cut you to pieces and make your house an ash heap. If anything, I could imagine just the opposite. If you domestic terrorists, you right-wing extremist, fundamentalist, white supremacist Christians, don't keep your mouths shut, we're going to put you where the sun don't shine. I could see that happening. And more than likely at some point it will. But not here in ancient Babylon where God has just made himself known in a very big way. You know, this must have been one of Nebuchadnezzar's favorite methods of punishment. It's the same one he threatened the Chaldeans with if they couldn't tell him the content and meaning of his dreams. He was definitely a man of extremes with no gray or neutral zones. If you do what I want you to do and tell me what I want to hear, you're my best friend. Otherwise, I'm going to cut you to pieces and burn your house down. Wow. That calls for a very decisive move, doesn't it? One way or the other. He says, there is no other God who can deliver like this. He's right about that. Again, notice something, though. Nebuchadnezzar's got a bit of a long haul ahead of him. He wasn't renouncing the other gods, but he was acknowledging the superiority of the Hebrew God to all other gods. And yet God tells us in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me, and obviously not after me. But as I've heard it explained, when he says you shall have no other God before me, don't you dare come before me with any other gods. Get them out of my face. I am the one true God. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, had leprosy. The prophet Elisha told him to bathe seven times in the Jordan and he would be healed. And he did it. And he was healed. Second Kings 5.15 He returned to the man of God, he and all of his aides, and came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. But it took the boldness of Elisha to carry that out, to go to this commander of the Syrian army who were not exactly friends of Israel and tell him to bathe seven times in the Jordan. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, who would that be? Jesus. Again, we see Jesus mentioned in the Old Testament. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Nebuchadnezzar hadn't gotten quite that far yet. And there's people like that in the world today. They may be inclined to, yeah, yeah, you know, we know Jesus is great and died on the cross and all that, but, you know, there are many paths to heaven, right? No, there's not. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And see, that's another deception of the enemy. If he can't get you to be an atheist, then he'll try to get you to be a polytheist, believe in many gods. Yeah, we'll throw Jesus in there. We'll throw Jehovah in there. But there's some other good ones too, you know. Hosea 13, 4. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. And you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. And then Acts 4, 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name except for Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Nebuchadnezzar is headed in the right direction, but he's not there yet. But then what happens? Not only are they spared from certain destruction, not only is God glorified and honored through this, but in verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went from being thrown into a fiery furnace, doomed to destruction, to now they not only are delivered, they get a promotion. And you know, um, their accusers, other members of, of the government, we saw the sat traps and all the other guys, rat traps, their accusers, probably out of jealousy, had sought their demise because Daniel and his associates had risen to the highest ranks in Nebuchadnezzar's government. God had given them favor, blessed them, and they were kind of like new guys on the scene. They'd just been brought over from Judea, or Judah fairly recently. Out of jealousy, they sought their demise, verses 8 through 12. But instead, and I love how God does this, guys, they played these other government officials, the Chaldeans, everybody that piled on and tried to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego executed. They played an instrumental part in setting up their promotion. Some of you probably saw in the news last week about a, a raid down in Florida. Gee, is that another uh, fiery furnace situation? Methinks it perhaps may result the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph's brothers, they hated him. They were jealous of him. His dad, Jacob, gave him the coat of many colors, remember? All the other guys were just wearing your everyday drab, khaki. Joseph has a coat of many colors. And then Joseph has these dreams. Hey, guys, I had the coolest dream last night. Everybody in the whole family was bowing down to me. Isn't that cool? <laughs> the brothers didn't think so. So they plotted to kill him. They threw him in a hole, but instead Reuben talked him into just selling him into slavery. Thank you very much. And so uh, 
he's taken into uh, Egypt and sold for a prophet. But ultimately we know that God raised Jacob up once again. And he tells his brothers when they finally find out who he is. Because they'd come to Egypt for help. Canaan. People were starving. There was a major drought. No grain. People were starving to death. The family of Jacob, his brothers, came to Egypt looking for grain. Guess who's in charge of the grain? Joseph. Eventually, they didn't recognize him at first. He's 20 years older. Dressed up like an Egyptian. Dressed like an Egyptian. And so, again, boy, just not like it used to be around. I don't know what to say. But eventually, he reveals himself to them. They're scared to death because they know they deserve to die for what they did to Joseph. And he's got the power to do it. But here, he said, guys, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Verse 20 of Genesis 50. But as for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me. Yes, they did. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is today, this day, to save many people alive. You see, through the evil machinations of his brothers, God placed Joseph in a strategic position. It took quite a few years to get there, a lot of trials along the way. God ultimately put Joseph in a strategic position to be able to save his family, who were the founders of, the, of Israel, the 12 tribes. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. And that's a powerful lesson we learn not only from Joseph, but from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you think the devil was behind Nebuchadnezzar's effort to eradicate these three guys? Absolutely. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith sharing this verse many years ago when he was teaching us about the ministry, about being a pastor, and so forth. I can't say that necessarily all of those who studied under him have followed this. Psalm 75, 6. And he was, he was talking about not being self-promoting. Letting God do the promoting. He, it says, Psalm 75, 6. Promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. And so, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not self-promoting. They were willing to lay their lives down to honor God rather than bow to that image. And God promoted them. He lifted them up. He lifted them up above those men who were trying to take them out. So next time you find yourself in a situation like that, and I'm sure we've all been there at one time or another, I know I have, where someone's trying to take you out, maybe not literally kill you, but usurp your, your place in life, your position, your job, maybe your marriage. God putteth down one and setteth up another. Absolute faith and trust in God brought deliverance, protection, and promotion or reward for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and glory to God. But that only happened because they stood their ground, right? 
not only would God have not been glorified, if they'd given in and bowed down, they could have said, well, Lord, you know in our heart of hearts, we're not worshiping this image. We're just doing it out of obedience to the king. God, you did tell us to obey those in authority, right? But as I've told you over and over again, God does not expect you to obey any authority that is ungodly, unbiblical, illegal, or immoral. We always obey God rather than men in that case. Just like the apostles told the Sanhedrin, hey, you guys got to stop preaching Jesus. You can preach love, joy, peace, long hair, rock and roll, free love. Don't preach Jesus. And the apostles told the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than men. But had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego given in, bowed down, God would not have been glorified. Nebuchadnezzar would not have seen that witness. And I guarantee you they would have not been promoted. Keep that in mind, folks. Again, the enemy always wants you to take the path of least resistance, to compromise, to back down. And I guarantee you there are many people in this world, past, present, and possibly future, who have achieved great fame, wealth, power, and position, not because they yielded over to God, but because they yielded over to the devil. He is the prince of this world. He even told Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. That wouldn't have been a temptation unless he was able to deliver. But you know what? <laughs> At the end of the day, the devil comes to collect. Elvis Presley. Many examples of people that that have achieved everything you can think possible in this life only to meet an untimely demise, a gruesome ending. Salvation from God through Jesus Christ is a free gift. Nothing comes free from the devil. There's always a price to pay. I wanted to end with this verse from an old hymn that we all know and love. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego proved him. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen? Let's stand. As we go to prayer this morning, please raise your hand if you have a special prayer request. We want to lift those up to the Lord today. See all your hands. God sees them, more importantly. Father, first of all, we do thank you for this amazing, powerful, dynamic story. And we know that it's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. This stuff really happened. And it's an encouragement to each and every one of us. Lord, at some point in our lives, we will all probably find ourselves in some type of fiery furnace. And yet we are so encouraged and comforted to know that you will be there with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And anything that happens, whatever the evil intent might be, you will use it for good in the lives of your people. We thank you. We praise you for that. Help us to truly know and understand receive this truth into our hearts and minds. 
so that in the days ahead when we do face those fiery trials, we will be able to stand firm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not giving in, not compromising, not backing down, knowing that in the end it will result in your glory and your blessings upon our lives. Lord, I lift up those this morning that may be raising their hand for a health issue. Lord, we know that there's a lot of that going around, especially as we get older, but more and more even younger people are dealing with more and more health issues and crises. We pray that you'd pour out your healing upon your people, Father God. Whatever it might be, whether it's allergies or colds or asthma, sinus conditions, cancer, leukemia, heart disease, diabetes, Lord, as we talked about this morning, we know these bodies will ultimately break down. We will have to cast off these earthly tents in order to receive our eternal, glorified, imperishable, incorruptible bodies. But in the meantime, Father, we desire to have as much health and strength as possible in order to serve you, to minister to you, to minister to our families and friends. So we ask that you would graciously, lovingly, mercifully pour out your healing upon all those struggling with health issues this morning, God. We lift each one up to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for those struggling with financial issues, that you would make provision. You've promised that you would take care of your people. You would meet our needs. Lord, maybe not all of our wants, all of our desires, all of our pleasures, but certainly those fundamental basic needs that we have in life, Father, for food, clothing, shelter, and so forth. Transportation. In this world we live in, that's a big deal too. We ask for your provision, Lord, that you, again, lovingly, graciously, mercifully bless your people with financial provision in the midst of a very difficult and uncertain time that we're living in now, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us supernatural wisdom on how to navigate these troubled waters as our economy seems to be spiraling downward, Lord. And yet, as long as we remember that you are our provider, we will have no fear. Lord, we ask you to take all fear from us. Your word tells us that you've not given us a spirit of fear and that your perfect love casts out all fear. So we ask you to take fear from us. Fill us with faith. Fill us with strength. Fill us with hope, we ask in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for those with mental and emotional issues. We know that the battle is won or lost in the mind, and that's where the enemy attacks us in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. We ask, God, that you would take every thought captive unto you, unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Guard our hearts and minds with your peace that passes all understanding. We pray for deliverance, relief, and release from anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, and all those things that tend to plague us from time to time. Lord, you are the great physician. You're the great psychologist. You know us inside and out. We ask you to heal all those mental and emotional issues and finally for relationships for marriages for friendships for workplace relationships neighborhood Lord you told us as much as it is possible on our part to be at peace with all men help us to be peacemakers help us to be the first to reach out for reconciliation the first to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness Lord even if we didn't really do anything wrong we can still Follow the model and the example of our Lord Jesus to be above reproach, beyond reproach. Lord, we ask that you would repair those damaged relationships, Father. It can be so hurtful, so painful when we're separated and disconnected from those that we love. And we ask that you be moving in the hearts of those who might be 
disconnected from us, who might be offended with us, who might have issues with us, that you would touch their hearts, soften their hearts, and bring about healing and recreation in Jesus' name. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ. We thank you in advance for the great taco plates that await us. And we ask now, God, that you would receive our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.